Today we're going to be looking at uh, the community embracing church. And um, I don't know what sort of pops into your mind when I say that phrase, because it may be that you're a sort of person who goes, well, obviously, Tom, what you mean by that is, uh, is that us as a church, we embrace the community out there, that we are a church that is making contact in, in authentic, real ways with the community around us, the city that God's put us in. And of course, that is absolutely true. That's part of the, of the answer. You may be someone who actually, perhaps when you think of the phrase community embracing church, perhaps you think about, as it were, the internal community actually. Primarily, you being part of a family that actually loves each other, that, that wants the best for each other, that lives your lives together. And actually, I think no matter where you fall on that spectrum, that today, God wants to communicate to us that actually both those views are absolutely at the heart of who our God is. And the reason I'm so confident that our God is so passionate about community in one form or another is this. It's because he himself is community. Can I have an amen? Amen. You see... He's not just that God, I'm a bit Pentecostal just to warn you if you're new here, I like to get people interacting. Um, it's not just that God likes community because it's nice, although that's kind of part of it. It's because when you look at this book called the Bible, from start to finish, what begins to emerge as you look at it amazingly is that although our God is one God, he's also three persons, Father, Son and Holy Spirit starts to get your mind a little bit twisted. I don't even begin to understand it. It's, a, it's an incredible mystery. But what we find is that again and again, as we look through Holy Scripture, that we find an amazing, amazing truth. That our God, although he's one, he is the ultimate, exquisite, perfect, universally reigning community that will ever exist. That's who he is. It's just his nature. So, for example, when Jesus got baptized, that's the son, in Luke uh, chapter 3, you have this amazing experience where the father from heaven looks down, he's excited because his son's got baptized, and he goes, and he looks down, and he says, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then you hear about the Holy Spirit coming in the form of a dove at that point, and in that one little incident, you see this incredible glimpse of the Trinity. The word Trinity isn't found in the Bible, but it just basically means three and yet one. Something along those lines. In John 17, we realize where Jesus, praying in the Spirit, Praise to his father these incredible words. He says, now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So he's praying to his dad in heaven in the spirit. And he's saying that you and I and the Holy Spirit have always pre-existed and loved each other in an incredible, mind-blowing, heart-expanding mystery that we'll never understand. That is our God. He is community. He is community. So I want to say today that no matter how you specifically understand this text, I believe that what we all need to hold in our hearts and hopefully go to a new level by the time we walk out that door is this, is that this isn't a peripheral issue. This isn't a small deal. This is actually touching upon the greatest mysteries that we will ever understand. It literally connects us to a a concept and and a thing that is at the very heart of our God because it's who he is. So I don't believe my main task today is convincing you that community is important. If I was to ask you guys to put your hand in the air, do you want to be part of a church family that looks out for each other and looks out for this city, would we all say amen? Amen. Amen. It's great to be in a church where people remember your birthday. And when you have a baby, they give you loads of clothes. And they make meals for you. And they look after you when times are good and when times are bad. 
and that we're always mindful of the new people coming in. So we're always expanding as a community and wanting to touch this city with the good news of Jesus. So my, my mission today is not to convince you that community is important, because we all know that it is. The real issue that we've got to look at today is how on earth do we build it? How? How do we become a genuinely authentic community within a community? A community that is ablaze with the passion for Jesus and that cannot help but touch the community that God has put us in. The question today is how do we do it? Because when you look at the world, when you look at the Bible, and when you look at the church in this nation and in a lot of nations, it's pretty obvious that it's not easy. It's pretty obvious that it doesn't just happen. Because wars are everywhere, people generally are laying into each other left, right and centre, and community and love and unity is not something that you see an awful lot of. And I want to, today I believe, hopefully, bring a, a, a genuine faith to this church that we can genuinely see in our day something beautiful arise more and more and more. A community that genuinely shocks people when they come in. Community that, okay, maybe is not perfect, but a community that genuinely shares the highs and the lows. You see, we're going to be looking at a community that was massive. It was over 3,000. It was a mega church. And yet they are the example of community, the best example of community that I can find. So can we turn our Bibles to Acts chapter 2? I bet a lot of you thought, I knew he was going to look at that passage today. It's the classic. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. There we go. We've got the words behind me. If you haven't got a Bible, no problem. And we're going to read a few verses. <clears throat> and I can genuinely say this, that every time I read these verses, my heart skips a beat. If, amen? Amen. If you, if you don't know these verses, just get ready. Because these verses are so wonderful, so deep, so... They provide a lifetime of meditation. They're not something you go, oh, I've got those under my belt, I understand. No, these are profound, wonderful, incredible, community-expressing verses. Now the context, and this is important, bear with me, is very important that, that we understand before we jump straight in. At the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, there is perfect community between mankind, Adam and Eve, and God. Vertical community, perfect, no problem there. We all know the next bit. What happens? The fall, basically, Adam and Eve decide to sin. They, therefore, are responsible for breaking down the vertical community that was perfect between mankind and God. And the Bible says that in a mysterious way, we would have done the same. We sinned in Adam when he sinned. So sin entered the world. The vertical breakdown of our community with God was destroyed. And what that means is then the horizontal community between us, each other, also fell apart. So when you read the chapters of the Old Testament, which is the beginning of, of the people of God, again and again and again, you see this tragic story again and again, like a heartbeat, breakdown of vertical community with God, expressing itself in breakdown of community at a horizontal level. This is quite almost amusingly illustrated in Genesis 11. We're doing Genesis next term. And uh, in Genesis 11, you see the story, the Tower of Babel, which is a, 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 bit, a, a, a story where... This rebellious people basically express their rebellion against God by building a whopping great uh, tower to try and kind of outdo God. And God totally justly demonstrates his judgment in the form of sending a whole load of different languages. So one moment they're all working together in unity, and then suddenly it's, hey, Bill, Bill, can you pass me a brick? It's bonjour, ça va bien. And suddenly it's, and suddenly it all falls apart. 
And the division that was there anyway in terms of sin and breakdown, I think God had a laugh, to be honest with you. He expressed it in terms of they couldn't even understand each other. So we saw the breakdown in horizontal community arising from sin is graphically depicted at the Tower of Babel. The story continues throughout the Old Testament. Breakdown of community, no community, no community with God, therefore all the time squabbling and not expressing a community to the, the world around them. And then, gloriously, naught AD, about 2,000 years ago, God has no doubt been pulling out the, the, the hair of his head, if he had hair, up in heaven, watching earth, squabbling, disunified, not loving him, not loving each other, sends his son Jesus, who has been enjoying perfect community for all time. Down he comes onto earth. He takes, he takes the punishment that you and I should have taken for all that sin that we, that we sinned against God. He takes it on the cross. And what we see there in a moment of incredibleness, we see that when we become a Christian, we become united with Jesus. And therefore, the perfect relationship that he has with the Father, we enter into. And the vertical community is restored again. And the church, therefore, which is made up of, across this world, billions of people who have experienced that. Therefore, horizontal community is restored. I hope you're still with me. This is all important stuff. I know you're thinking, you're on Tom, get on to the good stuff. This is it, God. This is, this is profound truth. So by the time... Jesus has gone back to heaven. He's done, he started his mission of restoring community, both vertically and horizontally. And then something called Pentecost happens, which is where the Holy Spirit really gets involved. The Father and the Son have been doing it so far mainly, but now we see the Holy Spirit get poured out. And what happens is it's almost like a reversal of the Tower of Babel. Because all the Christians are together, and then suddenly the Holy Spirit comes, and what happens again? Loads of languages start appearing. They start speaking different languages, but this is the key thing. Because it's the, the dawn of a new era of community, the effect of those languages, rather than actually causing division, causes people to be attracted. And people who are in the surrounding area, who hear their language being speak, spoken supernaturally, go, ooh, wow, that's amazing. And they get attracted to the community. And so what we see is that off the back of this, Peter, uh, uh, one of the early Christian leaders, stands up, preaches the gospel, and no less than three thousand people respond and the early church is properly born can i have an amen amen Amen. okay whistle stop tour in five minutes of the bible Woo! so what we find now at the passage that we're about to read a whole hundreds and hundreds of years of vertical and horizontal breakdown of community it's just been restored three thousand complete strangers have been united by this incredible experience and this is what we read in verse 42 And they devoted themselves, say devoted themselves, to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul. Say that with me. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. Say having favour with all the people. Having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Father, we love you. We are just in awe of you. We stand on holy ground today, Lord. 
And we say, God, help me to communicate something of your passion for community. Lord, we genuinely want to go deeper today into an understanding of all that you have for us. Amen. Amen. So we see here a description of the early church, the community that is born from the experience we've talked about. And I think here we see three types of community that are very helpful for us, City Church, in the 21st century, here in Canterbury, in Kent, in the UK, even though it happened 2,000 years ago. Three types of community that will help us develop in the years ahead. Number one, we see community with God. Number two, we see community with each other. And number three, we see community with the city. So number one, community with God. Verse 42, 43. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. You see, the first type of community that we see here that we can so easily miss, is with the Creator God. The only reason that these guys are a community is because they have all shared one thing, is that they have all experienced by the grace of God, God touching earth and opening their hearts up to have faith in him. And I believe there is a reason that these first two verses are the first two in this section. Because we can so rush on to other things. But God wants, I believe, first of all, us to realise that the thing that brought these guys together was a vertical download of faith from God into their hearts, birthing a faith and a hope and a trust and an obedience in God that was nothing less than the grace of God crashing into their lives. And so what we find is these key phrases, that they they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to these four things that we're going to brief, very briefly look at. But I want us to notice that they devoted themselves. They didn't wait for other people to lead them into it. They devoted themselves. Devotion talks about both a heart response and a seriousness. It's the sort of word you use about marriage or about your devotion to your children. It's not a flippant word. They devoted themselves. They took responsibility for their vertical community, their walk with God. They experienced God and they said, right, all of them, 3,000, we are going to take responsibility for our walk with our God. It's brand new. God is broken in by his grace, but he then gives us four tools that we take responsibility for in terms of growing in maturity. We see teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers. And this is a whole sermon series on these. But I just want to briefly mention just a few things about each of these. First of all, they devoted themselves to teaching. Before they reached out, they reached for the Bible. They didn't literally have the Bible then, but you know what I mean. That's what we have to do today. Before we launch ourselves into frenetic activity, God calls us to be a people who reach for his word. They devoted themselves to apostolic teaching. Apostolic teaching. They devoted themselves here because they knew that actually in the moment of birthing here that they had to develop a lifestyle centred around this holy book if they were going to be a people who in decades to come would still be affecting the community around them. Because the reality is, is that we all have times where we feel emotionally extremely up for doing certain things for God. But if you have a heartbeat you will know the reality is we all have a lot of times also where we emotionally don't feel like doing anything apart from lying in bed all day. 
That's just the reality. Anyone here identify with me? Please, a few of you. Thank you, honest people. That's the reality. So this first point is so important because he's saying what they did was they devoted themselves to this book, to, to drinking in the one thing on planet Earth that never changes. Psalm 119.89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. We come and go. We are emotional, unstable, up and down kind of people. We are. I'll leave it at that. We all are. It's going to say something that will get me into trouble. We all are. We all are. And the reality is, this book isn't. And this book pumps out a message of community with God. From start to finish, it says, guys, make sure your life is centered around Christ. This is what, in essence, it says. Put God at the center. And so when it says they devoted themselves, what it means is that they said, do you know what? If we, in in a year, we're going to probably be, you know, we might be feeling a bit lukewarm. It started all well. We've got to be a people who put into our DNA this thing. That's why as a church, we always open the Bible on a Sunday. You may think, well, of course you do. Believe me, uh, it's not taken for granted, actually, in churches, unfortunately. We will always do that, morning, noon, and night, because we devote ourselves to the teaching. Amen. Thank you. Because Hebrews 4.12 says that God's word isn't just stable. It doesn't just is the one thing that doesn't change. It's also living and active. So when we put it into our brains and in our hearts, it's like, you know that film Alien, where the kind of creature comes out, it's all a bit crazy. It's kind of a bit like that. It's like, whoa, you find this thing changes you. Anyone here remember me nine years ago when I first walked in this church as a hippie? Yeah, loads of you. Am I different? Yes. I'm very different. That's partly because of the Holy Spirit. But God's word is owned by the Spirit. And as we eat it, as we eat it, as we drink it, as we devote ourselves, our community with God means that we change. And it means that we become a people who never let go. Never let go. So, teaching. Devoted themselves to fellowship. What's fellowship, you say? That's a bit of an old-fashioned word, Tom. It's old-fashioned, but basically it means you spend your life together. It means that you just love each other, and you're with each other, and you're there sometimes in non-super spiritual ways. You just hang out, you play golf together, you, I don't know, play laser tag or whatever these guys play. You know, you just do whatever, play chess, perhaps, I don't know. You live your lives together. And you can say, well, Tom, isn't that your second point about, you know, community with each other? I want to say that actually the reason the fellowship is so important primarily is because although horizontally, obviously, we have time together, what happens is, when you spend your life with other brothers and sisters, primarily, is your relationship with God grows. Your relationship with them does grow. But God's intent is that it leads us again and again and again to become fired up for the things of Jesus. Amen? That's why we do it. You know what, if you're, I, the amount of times I'll be driving around the ring road, feeling a bit blue or cheesed off Monday morning. Actually, Monday mornings I like, it's my day off. But, I don't know, whatever, I'm driving along, and suddenly there's Gustav's car. The crazy Gustav Stramvik mobile, the big blue one, with all the kids at the window, you know, and there's paint and, uh, you know, crazy songs on the radio and stuff. And I see him and I'm like, hey, brother! And about three seconds and they're gone. And, but you know, I walk away, I drive away rather, and I just think, I love that man. <laughs> and I love you, God, for putting him in my life. I thank you, God, he's a gift to me. Do you know what I mean, though? You do, don't you? When you see others and brothers and sisters in church. I love it. You're walking along the high street, you know, you've got your iPod on or whatever, and suddenly there's Hugh Pierce. They're like, hey, Uzi, how are you doing? And you just walk away. It could be five seconds long. doesn't matter. You've connected with God again because we are temples of the Holy Spirit. And as we come together, something incredible happens. It's so precious. It's so precious. So fellowship, devoted themselves to teaching, to fellowship. 
But then it says, to the breaking of bread. And as I looked at this, I have to say, I felt, whoops, a bit convicted. Um, I'm the lead elder in this church, and, and Gustav and I, I think we both say that this is something that God has put on our hearts that we need to, we want to go deeper. We believe there's more. We believe that we need to do it more often. We believe that God has greater revelation for us as a family of, church, as a family of, of believers that actually that there is something in this that, although we do do it, and we passionately believe in it, with the busyness of church life, sometimes we do, we do kind of forget about that a little bit. You know, Jesus said, do this, why? Of me. He didn't say do it because it will bring you together, although that's part of it again. Primarily because it means that you remember me. It builds the vertical relationship between you and me, my son or my daughter. You know, Smith Wigglesworth who, oh my goodness, if you know anything about Smith Wigglesworth, he was a man anointed by God. He saw unbelievable signs and wonders in his life. He was a plumber up in the north and um, left school at eight because he couldn't cope with the level of education. And yet he was a man who, who knew the power of God. And he used to break bread on his own at 4 a.m. every day and then go off start work at 6 o'clock doing the plumbing. Now, generally, we would say, I think it's good to break bread with other people. That's our kind of you know, reading from Scripture. That's the normal pattern. But he was so passionate, believing that the breaking of bread was something that actually there was a power in it. It wasn't just symbolic. It was symbolic. But actually, it was a means of grace. It was a means of grace. It's a way that actually, that as we do it, we, we go strengthened in our relationship with God. And I believe that God in these coming days is going to take us on a journey with this that I'm very excited about. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and fourthly to prayer. It's so natural, isn't it, if you put those other three into place, that you become a people who love to pray. Last Sunday night, man, it was just indulgence. It was, you know, yeah, you have, you know, the sort of, the standard range at Asda or whatever, and then you have sort of extra special indulgent range. I felt, I said to Jeff Farnham afterwards, after the, uh, we're talking about the prayer meeting, by the way, sorry, I haven't mentioned that, have I? Our evening prayer meeting. And we didn't get around to praying about anything. Well, we prayed about revival, actually. Sorry, we did pray about revival for the nation, which is pretty important. But basically, we were there just indulging in God. We stood for about 15 minutes in total silence. So as a church, we do have silence as well as loud music. And we were just there just going, oh, God, 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 you're so good. You know, we just love your presence. And, and you know, God spoke to me last week uh, about this. You know, Daisy has just got to the stage where she's, that's my daughter, she's 10 months old. She's just got to the stage where she's clingy. And she's clingy for Josie. She kind of likes me as well, but she's really clingy for Josie, my wife. And the reason is is because she spends all the time with Josie. She knows her smell. She knows her. And she's like a little limpet. She's just like, you can't get her off, Josie, you know, particularly for a stranger. And I thought, God said, I want you to be clingy for me. You're called to be clingy. We are, I know it's funny, but we are called to be a people who genuinely are comfortable with long periods of silence in God. Sunday mornings, we will have that. We will. And, and, and God's presence is so wonderful, isn't it? He's so good to us. He's so kind. And this is just the beginning, folks. We're just at the beginning of this journey. So we're called to be clingy. We're called to be a people who pray and love God's presence, devoted to it. And so what we read is, is that as they put these four into practice, these very simple four practices, is that God pours out his blessing. Verse 43 says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. I mean, I love these words, awe. Awe. In Malachi, it says, 
God speaking about his covenant says, My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave to him that I gave to him. It was a covenant of fear. He feared me, and he stood in awe of my name. See, there's a kind of intermingling of awe and fear. The two, when we talk about fear, we're not talking about like literally, you know, running well, you can do actually sometimes when God turns up, it's like awesome. Literally. You know, when you hear about revivals, oh, when you hear about revivals that have swept through the British Isles across this world, the thing you see more than anything, actually, is awe and fear. When God reveals in the heart of a sinner that outside of Christ they're going to hell, that the moment they die, they're going to be judged, that they're going to face eternal judgment, that's kind of scary. And awe of God, I believe God is restoring that to the church in this nation. I know we are a church that loves to celebrate. You know, we don't, we, are, we don't want to take ourselves too seriously. We want to be a people who are always like, look, we're just wallies saved by grace. Amen? That is who we are. We are not super spiritual, incredibly, you know, brilliant people. We are not. We're weak, broken people. Oh, God. When he comes, and he is coming to this nation, I really believe that. I absolutely believe that with all my heart. The thing that will happen is that we will be on our faces. He'll still be our father. But my goodness, we will know a fear and an awe. And this is what these guys put in practice, these four, these four things. And God responds by pouring out his awe, pouring out the fear of God upon them. Last Sunday night, we kind of had awe with a, with a small A. We were there, polite awe. We, God, we know you're there and it's comfortable. But there are days when it will be a raw awe. Capital A, we'll be on our faces, and this is overwhelming. We can't look at your face, Lord. Hide us in the rock, because your sheer presence is overwhelming. That is the God we serve. If you're a non-Christian here today, I want to say to you, we believe in a big God. We believe in an almighty God who is risen in glory, and he's not a humble peasant (laughs) riding around on a donkey anymore. He's the one who flung stars into space. And I I want to say to you today, if you don't know Jesus, with, with all tenderness... I believe today you have to give your life to him. I don't say it gently. I say it with all my heart. Give your life to Jesus today. Because if you were to die today, I believe outside of Christ you would face judgment. And I believe that God wants to break into you. And this is what happened. 3,000 people going one way to hell. They meet with God. And God in his grace breaks into their hearts. I'll give you a chance later on to respond to that. But this is the first point. Sorry, I'll be quick on the other ones. But the strength, there was a strength in the community of the, with God. There was a strength. And this is so important for us, guys. And I really believe that this is God's word to us. Because, you see, when you get saved, you get happy. And you get like, wow, I love you, God. Nothing, even death itself doesn't matter anymore. I love you, God. And what can sometimes happen, by mistake, particularly if you're someone who likes to do good things, is that you do a lot of good things. And although you don't realize it, sometimes you can be doing it almost to earn your salvation. You can be almost going, operating sometimes, and actually it's almost because you still think this is too good. This grace message, surely I've got to do some stuff as well. And it's just not the case. It's by faith alone. And so they had an understanding of faith and grace that was absolutely central. Yes, they became the most radical good works community I think this earth has ever seen. But they started with a profound community with God that is so important to us. So first of all, community with God. But secondly, we see community with each other. Verse 44, 45. And all who believed were together. They had all their things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Oh my golly gosh. How terrifying are those verses? You're looking very relaxed. You shouldn't be. 
When we read those verses, we should be, no! That is so scary. Look at them. All 3,120, approximately. All, not just the Keenies. All of them believed who were together, and they had all their things in common. All of them. Anyone here struggles sometimes with sharing? I really struggle with sharing. When I'm doing the food at home for Josie and me on the night, you know what I'm going to say, don't you? I'm making the fish and chips or lasagna or whatever. And then it comes to, the, to taking the portions through, that one's a little bit bigger. It is definitely a tiny bit bigger. Give it to Josie. Give it to Josie. Give it to jo- There you go, Josie. And the other one gets in her hand. No, 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 I don't. I often give her the larger one. But the reality is, even as we're Christians, in one of the wealthiest nations in the world, Guys, we've got to be real about this. We've got to be, sharing stuff is hard. And yet they said they had all their things in common. And out of 3,000 people, do you think it's possible that one or two of them may well have been fairly loaded? I think it's probably fairly likely. So if you're someone and you're really poor and you get saved out of 3,000, you're like, woo, fantastic! <laughs> but if you're loaded, you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> right. There we go. Here's everything I've got, my life savings. This is what they did. And in fact, that wasn't their attitude as we're about to see at all. They gave away all their hard-earned cash. I mean, it's one thing being devoted to fellowship, breaking of bread. It's another thing getting out your, your checkbook and giving away all your cash. But what we see here is when you look at the scriptures, it's not even that. It goes even further because it says selling their possessions and belongings. It wasn't just that they gave their money, their disposable cash, a double tide every so often. They gave their, it implies almost the shirts off their back. There was something completely amazing that happened in their lives, supernaturally, that meant they were desiring to sell everything they had and to give it to those who had need. Now, I know of a lot of amazing churches around the world, I'm sure you do, who are brilliant at worship. Amazing buildings. Amazing, you know, uh, passion for God. Amazing prayer life. I know a few churches, I don't know of any churches really, which literally look like this in this respect. Now, I'm not saying this is totally prescriptive. This is descriptive. It describes what happened. And I'm not saying, right, before you've got to leave this door, you've got to give me all your money. But what I'm saying is it's there to provoke us that church is anything but a kind of Sunday affair. Church is this radical, all-life-consuming thing. I mean, man, we have a membership joining day. And the, the amount of times people roll their eyes when they go, it's an entire day? It's six hours long, and then I've got to sign a bit of the bit of paper. And you're like, yes, you have. Sorry, but you know, I know it's a lot of devotion, an entire day out of your whole life. But actually, we do need you to be there just to kind of meet you and just to kind of connect because the church is growing all the time. And we're as elders, we're responsible for you spiritually. We don't know who everyone is. We just need to kind of meet with people. And that we see they were, as we're about to see, meeting every single day. I mean, can you imagine if we added a new little section in the membership bit? as well as kind of the suggestion perhaps to tithe. Although that actually isn't a New Testament thing, it's more of an Old Testament thing, we won't go there. Can you imagine if we added plus, give us all your money, and those nice Nikes you're wearing, and all your shoes, and your DVD player, and your car, please. Thanks, sign Gustav Stranvig. Would that work in this culture? Probably not, but the reality is, these guys were so in love with God that they wanted to give it to each other. They were devoted to one another. You know, we can often think about spiritual maturity unconsciously in terms of who prophesies the most, who wobbles and shakes loads when they're worshipping. You know, who, I don't know, who reads their Bible all the time. 
spiritual maturity here at one level is the fact that they practically were so in love with God that they were throwing off their things. Hopefully not literally. They still had clothes to wear, but there was a radical devotion that we can miss. You know, I, and I, I, wanna, I, I believe God's encouraging us as well as challenging us. I do believe as a church that you and I are growing in this. Man, the last few weeks I've, I've received some amazing blessings. Gustav, again. This week, uh, he just, well, he did something very kind. I won't say what it was. A very, very kind thing. And a few weeks ago, this couple in the church came up and said, look, look I just felt God say, I want to buy you a sat-nav. You know, and, and if you have a baby, you'll discover the generosity of this church. You know, just clothes coming and prams and baby chairs. And As a church, we are growing in this, but I believe there's a whole new realm that God has for us. And it's exciting and scary, all intermingled. And notice this phrase, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. It wasn't just giving to those who were really, really, really in need. It was giving to all who, as any had need. It was an incredible liberation in God that meant that they were radically giving away. And I just, I just noticed just a really obvious but practical point within this is that they spent their days together. They met day by day in the temple and in their homes. They lived their lives together. They were a people who were geographically together, but also, as Rob Rufus would say, cardiographically together. They lived physically near each other, but they also, in their hearts, cardiographically, shared their lives. And I want to say, really practically, that I would encourage you, perhaps if you're new to the church, or you're, you know, you're thinking about joining us, I would encourage you physically to, to try wherever possible to live in this city. I mean, obviously, God calls us to live in different places, and as a church, we regionally have people coming from all over the place, and that's wonderful. But there is something about walking through Winchip or walking through Thannington, or walking through the city centre most days, and just being able to share your lives with people. The glorious thing about Canterbury is that it's a small city. I talked to some of my mates in London. Man, that is a different ball game. Sharing your life together in that city is so hard. But in this wonderful city, we genuinely have a chance to become a people who can day by day meet each other. Day by day. Day by day. Day by day. They went to the temple. We meet once a week, don't we? God, God was on this people in a dramatic way. And I have to say that whereas we often can think of, oh, it's another meeting. I've got another meeting. You know, that's not how they saw it. They loved God and they loved each other in a way that it wasn't a meeting. It was rubbing our hands together. We're going we're to connect with our brothers and sisters again. And there is a paradigm shift, as the Americans would say. There's a, a change of thinking. Us Brits can be a little bit compartmental. I've got my, I've got my, I've got my uh, work, I've got my family, and I've got my church. And obviously, at times, we've got to check those balances. But there is a reality that New Testament church is radical. And that there's, there's got to be a path where somehow, although we're not burning out, we are also allowing church, our family, to be interwoven all the time. Actually, church isn't just something we do on a Sunday or even just at cell group or even just at worship band. But actually, it's our very lives. It really is. I know Hugh, who's from a different... Hugh is from uh, Zimbabwe. And, uh, and, and he just said, in, in a very busy culture like the UK, with all these different groups and stuff and the things that we do and we, our lives are so full of, it's, it's very different to African culture, particularly, where actually church is just you are church together. 
And when we look at these scriptures, and it talks about them sharing their lives daily, I believe there is a wonderful provocation there that God wants us to be a people who more and more and more spend our lives together. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's so powerful. It's so powerful. It's so powerful, community. You know, yesterday I had the privilege at a wedding. Um, and uh, uh, I went to quite a, a posh boys' school. So it was like some of my old mates from home. And they were like, they're, they're very successful. I mean, I was chatting to the guy who's the chairman of O2. You know, he's there, and he's like Sir David Arculus. And chatting to him, he's the dad of one of my, my friends. And there's a guy here who's multi And I was chatting to them. And I was just, and, and my mates like consultants and jet pilots and all this stuff. And I was like, how are you doing? Guys? And every time they were asking me, though, about the church, they'd logged onto the website. They'd seen the little video, which we've done on the front. And they're like, it's kind of good, though. I like it. It's good. And they were interested in this community. And I'm not exaggerating. And they were like, you're driving back tonight to go to church tomorrow? Just you know, call a sickie. I was like, no, I want to be there. I want to be there. I'm not doing it out of duty. I am not doing this out of duty. I love you with all my heart. You crazy lot. <laughs> but, it, I mean, and I, I could have talked to them about theology. And I tried to a bit, you know. No great theologian, but I tried, did my, got the gospel in there. With these got genuinely incredibly powerful people. But the thing, I could, again and again, that I could see that they couldn't comprehend was the community. It was the fact that I was part of a church. Church wasn't a building. It was a group of people. We were totally different. Most of us have come from different countries and different backgrounds. And yet, like on that day on Pentecost, something has happened in our hearts. Something incredibly special has happened. And then we're not just saved individually. I'm saved. Yes, of course you are. You're saved into a body. You're saved into a specific, unique DNA family that God wants us to be part of. And the enemy is always trying to claw you out of. And I have to say that. Be aware. Be aware. If God is calling us into greater purposes, be aware. Aware. The enemy will love to whisper to you, oh, you're a bit different. Or you're a bit older. There's just a young you there. Go somewhere else. We need every different type of person in this church desperately. Oh, they're all middle class there. Well, we, it might be a bit true, but we want to be diverse. That's our passion. Amen? Amen. Amen. It is. And we have a spiritual battle. And, and they devoted themselves. They took responsibility for it. They recognized that that 3,000 people would only stay 3,000 and get bigger and bigger and bigger if they all took responsibility for looking after that community because it's a reflection of God himself. So community with each other. And finally, we see community with the city. Finally, we see here this exquisite overflow happen. In verse 47, it says, Praising God, praising God and having favour with all the people. Can you say favour? Favour. They had favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There was no sweat. There was no duty. There was no, oh, well, Tom and Gustav said we better do this, so we better go out. Mm. Better do it. Duty. You know, God's been good to us, we better do it. I'm not saying you like that, I'm just saying there was no duty. Devotion. And God anointed them. There was a favour upon them. Favour was upon them. And so, as an overflow of that, that place was growing all the time. They weren't focused on growth. We're not focused, we're not focused on being a thousand as a church, we love Jesus. We worship Jesus. But as we do that, we are absolutely open 
to the thousands, the tens of thousands in the city who don't know Jesus coming and joining us in that worship of Jesus. That's what we're about. And a spirit-birthed community overflows into a sin-immersed community. And what we see is an incredible result. I mean, can you imagine being a first-century dude in Jerusalem at the time of this happening? Can you imagine it? Imagine the phone calls that would have gone round Jerusalem at that time. Of, Bert, have you heard about Dwayne? Have you heard about Dwayne? He's become one of those Christians. I know, yeah, we were in the pub with him, and then suddenly he went out, and he just heard this guy Peter preaching, and he's become a Christian. I know, it's bizarre. Yeah, I know, he just inherited all that money. All that money from his granny. She died, you know, but he's given it all away. He's given it all away because he wanted to, because he's met this God, apparently, who's far more generous and glorious than any earthly thing could ever captivate him with. He's given away his Nike sandals. He's given away his camel and his donkey. He's given away his toga. He's given away his hamster. He's sold it all. Because he wants, he just, he's sold out for this God, this Jesus fella. Those kind of phone calls would have gone round. A community that wasn't just sort of, they, well, they, they meet every so often in the corner. This radical community that had favour with the city all around them. And the amazing thing is this, is that actually when you love God, and you genuinely love those who are different to you in your church family, you naturally, or actually supernaturally, start to become attractive to those around you. It's like what was happening last night at the wedding. I wasn't going there to win souls for Jesus. I was just talking about my passion. So what do you do? Oh, I'm a church leader. Really? You're a vicar? No, not exactly. I, I, I lead this church. We're a bit different to some churches. We're a bit, little bit more wacky. A bit, no, not wacky. But a bit more informal, a bit more relaxed, you know. Oh, right. And it flows out. Loving God, then you love each other. And then you find that, that that speaks and people are attracted to that. Because all they ever see in the world around them is fighting and cynicism and hatred and politicians punching, you know, just a world of power, of pain and, and, and division. And as we become a people more and more who love God and therefore love each other, favour flows out. And it's not some big kind of worked up thing. It just happened in God's grace. Proverbs 4.18 says, The path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn, which shines brighter and brighter and brighter until full day. You know, whether you feel holy or not, do you know, when you love God and you love those, God people that people, that, those people that God has put you in community with and you're open to talk about that, there is a favour that rests on you. There is a favour, Helen was saying in the offices this week, how again and again at university, her friends, you know, the thing that got them interested in talking about the gospel was the fact that she was mates with people who were twice her age, three times her age. People from completely different backgrounds. And there's a favour that God puts on his people. But when you start to look throughout the Bible, it suddenly all starts to come together. You see in prophecies like in Isaiah 2, it says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord, that's the church, will be established as the highest of the mountains, aye, above every other way in this world, and shall be lifted above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come on, let's go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. There is an attraction in God's people when we are honest about our love for God and are honest for love for each other. Yes, of course, when we preach a true gospel, there will be people who will be offended by it and won't be attracted. But the absolute opposite truth is that there will also be people who go, wow, that's amazing. I know I'm a sinner. 
I'm so aware of that. And you're saying that Jesus Christ has dealt with it? Count me in. I want to be part of this amazing community. And as Christians, we can so forget that. And the enemy just whispers all the time, oh, they won't want to hear about the gospel. They won't want to hear about that. Well, they're not saying it. And actually goes, come on, it's good news. Even though at times it's hard news to say, it's actually good news that we are preaching. Amen? And so what we find is, is the first century church in Jerusalem is a fulfillment of that Isaiah prophecy. It is the, the chief mountain that's being raised up by God's favour upon it. And so we find that they become a people who are affecting their community around them. They're not just like a little holy huddle who just make, and it's all about, excuse me, about us, but it's about them actually overflowing and affecting the, the, the community around them. They're a burning torch, a burning beacon of hope and passion for God. They are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. You don't focus on that. How can we become better profile? How about just love God? We've just got to love him with total abandon, throwing off self-consciousness every Sunday, every Sunday, every time we can together, and love God and love each other, and God opens doors. He gives us favor. And I want to say, as I read this description of Acts 2 Church, you know, I just thought, man, in just about every way, the description of this church contrasts with most of the churches in this nation. And I'm not saying that we're any different. I'm just saying that by the grace of God, I hope we're beginning to become. When you look at it, they were devoted. They were devoted. They were a genuine community. They were a a gang. They were together sharing their adventure of life. Most churches in this nation are known for division. They're known for for infighting and backbiting. They devoted themselves to teaching. They believed that, that this was the word of God. Most churches... Not most churches, some churches. Some churches are walking away from seeing the Bible as literally the inspired word of God and are trying to blend it with other new ideas. They were a people who devoted themselves to fellowship. They lived their lives together, as I've already said. So often church can be just something we do every so often. We try and slot it in. They were a people who broke bread. I've already mentioned that. And they prayed Often churches in this nation can be so weak at praying. And I say again, we fall into that category. We need to be a church which realises that, yes, we meet once a month to pray, and that's great. But that's an hour and a half, two hours out of hundreds of hours a month. God is changing us. He's, I, I want my life to count. I don't want to meet him and him say, you are such a wimp. You saw my passion for prayer in this book, and you wimped out from saying it. I, want to, I fear God in this. I fear him. And we can compare ourselves with other churches and go, yeah, we're pretty good. Pretty radical. We are a bunch of radical people. We're not radical anywhere near it yet. We are not. And, we, and I count myself in that 100%. And awe came upon them. Would you describe most churches in this nation as full of awe? I think often the thing we can fall into is actually Jesus is my best mate. Of course he is at one level, but he's also the transcendent, uncreated one the author of all life. He is totally other to us, as well as being approachable. They met daily. We often don't meet. It goes on and on and on. It goes on and on. The contrast can be depressing. And so the ultimate contrast at the end where it says, and the Lord added to their number daily. We see here, Lord, are we seeing that? Not yet. We're not. We're starting to see people added in their ones and twos over weeks. But I yearn to see people added to this church daily. And that implies that they were getting together daily to see people getting added daily. So somehow we need to move more towards that. Don't ask me how. I'm just saying what the Bible says. What the Bible says. Respect. 
So what I'm saying is, and with this I finish, is that guys, I believe, I believe that the order that we see here in terms of community embracing is significant. We embrace God. Then we start to embrace each other. And therefore, we then become a people who more and more communicate community to those around us. And I believe we will start to see God's favour. I believe God is already giving us amazing favour as a church. I really believe that. I think about the amount of teachers who have gone into wonderful jobs and are influencing schools for the kingdom. Oh, I love that. I love it to see men and women there who are teaching the next generation and they're getting in Jesus somehow. And they're talking about things of righteousness. I love it that we've got police officers in here who God has put in positions of authority to govern with righteousness and kingdom values. Praise God. His favour, putting people... Praise God we've got doctors and nurses who bring kingdom values to hospitals and and places of need. I love it. There's so many stories I could go on, but you know the point. Already there is a mighty favour of God on us. Individually and corporately. As a church, we've known incredible favour since we've been going in the last 18 years. With this school... The governors, they love us. Don't know why, they just do. They're great people. We think of other primary schools in the town and the good relationship, the favour God's given us. The, the, the favour in, in terms of the council allowing us to do evangelistic events in the middle of this town. It's amazing. The, the, the favour of God in terms of people giving us free minibuses. Uh, a solicitor ringing up and saying, I'm with you, I'm not in your church, but I want to back you. I'll give you free legal advice and legal services when you go for that building project. I'm with you. It's all over the place. And obviously the, the great unmentionable at the moment, which I can't talk about, the potential great display of God's favour, which is a building opportunity, which still ticking along, by the way, which is very exciting. Keep you posted when I know something definite. That has, again, the hallmarks of God's incredible favour on it. But guys, I want to say is that God has called us to be a community that affects this community in a way that we, I don't think, even comprehend yet. You know, Acts 2 was the beginning and God is on a mission. He's on a, he doesn't want to just go, oh, if we could only aspire to that. We want to aspire to that. But by the grace of God, I said, Lord, even more. We want to be 6,000. I don't want to be a church of a thousand. I want to be a church of tens of thousands. I want every soul in this city to know Jesus and to be devoted. Why not? Why? You've done it once, God. Do it again. Do it in our day. God, we want to live for something more than just the normal stuff. Don't we want to do that? We want to live to see our lives count in glory. We want to be a people who totally were seen as insane. (laughs) Because actually we're caught up with a God who is totally above logic. He's not about doing a reasonable thing. He's a God of outstanding, incredible generosity who gave his only son so that we could know him in perfect community. And so we we have such an amazing God who's calling us. And even specifically, with this I finish, he's been speaking to us as a church prophetically about amazing days of favour, and particularly with the poor as well, which is a whole wonderful other issue. He says, where do I start? This was through Julian Adams, a mighty prophet. He says, I, will, I want to give you an ability to hold much more. There's an international anointing on the church. Many people coming, going, being sent. It's a day of new things. And hear this. You are salt. We are salt in this city. There is loads of water all over the place. No longer will there be miscarriages of ministries. I see a newspaper clipping about the faithfulness and godliness of this town. We are the salt that he is pouring out and rivers will teem with life again. Hallelujah. All manner of fish because I'm bringing new life. In this season of transition, I'm giving you a new and much bigger bowl. I see multiple buildings, not just one, that will be used to serve and affect the city. An open place of influence where people will drive past and say, that's the City Church Canterbury. Amen. Amen. Do we want to do it? Should we stand? Can we have the band up, please?
I was going to go for a ministry time, but I think that's inappropriate. I think it's just, should we just worship God? Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Because God wants to do something in us, even now at the end. Don't switch off. I believe we've still got a few minutes. I believe. Goodness. Don't worry about that. Focus on Jesus. Let's just shut our eyes for a moment. Focus on God. Focus on God. Focus on God. Lord, we love you. Lord, we love you. Let's just say it together. Lord, we love you. And again, Lord, we love you. We want to, Lord, we want to reflect your community with all of our hearts. We want to be a people who touch this community, Lord, yes, through projects, but through a power that only you can bring. We want to be a people, Lord God, where we genuinely see those who are sick come and flock to us because we are the place where you are resting. Lord, we thank you for your favour. But we say, God, even now, let's just reach out our hands. If you feel dry and you think, well, blimey, I don't know whether I can be part of this. I'm tired. I'm just trying to hold on for my own life. That's okay. It's okay. But God is a gracious God. He is a God who loves us. He's for us. You may have been a Christian just a week or two, but God has amazing plans for you. You may have been a Christian decades and think, oh, well, what have I got to offer? This morning, I just believe as our hands are held out, that even now God is breathing fresh passion, fresh energy upon us. Not striving, not in our own strength, but by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of Almighty God, who has called us, believe it or not, (laughs) to be His army. An army of hope, an army of joy. An army of overcomers. An army of generous people to the extreme. An army of people who by nature may be self-obsessed. Maybe just stingy and just hard-hearted, but by the power of God, changed into the likeness of His Son. Lord, we receive Your grace afresh. Right now, Lord, I just pray over this wonderful, faithful people today. I pray, Lord, let your glory fall. I really mean it, Lord. I pray for every work challenge now. Busy people, you've called to effect for your kingdom. I pray now, by the power of God, fall on this church. Lord, we look to you now. I pray now for an infusion of softness of heart. Lord, I pray for those who feel now, even now they're disqualifying themselves. Oh, I... I'm not some great leader. I want to pray against that now. I want to pray for your gentle love to just encourage every heart in this place. Every heart. Every heart now, Lord. Let your wonderful, supporting, power-giving love right now across this room, Lord, fall in increasing measure. Lord, we wait upon you. We love you. We say, Lord, we look to you, our rock, our redeemer. Lord, our great captain, the leader of this church, the wonderful saviour, Jesus, we marvel at your grace. Come now, Lord God.